not every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the U.S. than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. Welcome to a new episode of the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen series. During this time, we're aiming to provide regular weekly episodes, all recorded remotely. Today, we're talking with editor Doug Abel, who gave us a unique behind-the-scenes look at Netflix's wildly popular documentary series, Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem, and Madness. Abel, whose credits include Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9 and Errol Morris's Oscar-winning documentary, The Fog of War, shares how the series started with a look at the treatment of animals and evolved into a story beyond belief that follows several big cat collectors and animal rights activists, centering on breeder and former zoo owner Joe Exotic. His story ranges from a run for president to a prison sentence after he was found guilty for his role in a murder-for-hire plot to kill his rival, Carol Baskin. During the conversation, Doug describes how the series got started, cut scenes that never aired, and how the story evolved during the editing process. I'm Carolyn Giardina. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. Doug, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Glad to be here. Now, I understand we're talking to you from your home studio in Kentucky. First and foremost, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. We're hunkered down. My wife works from home as well, and she heard that a lot of people are fostering animals during this time. So, of course, I've got a pregnant kitten in the next room about to give birth. Uh, so, so lots of cats, uh, and you may hear your dogs barking and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's all the fun of the home office. So, Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Sure. So... The series has been all over in the news. Did you expect this sort of response? What has it been like for you to see the attention on it? We really didn't. I mean, it's that kind of insecure thing as you're working on a project. Is anybody going to care about this? We really didn't know. And we weren't sure if people were going to make it past, you know, the first episode or two. We just thought this is just too weird. You know, we had people telling us that it, they liked it, but it's it's uh, we, we were in such a crunch on the schedule that we didn't have time to do the, the typical kind of test screenings that you you normally would want to do on a project. So it is definitely a surprise to me and I know the, the whole crew. So did not expect that, no. Had you worked with the filmmakers before? I had not. Um, I think we had flirted like most freelancers. You know, you speak with people, you, you go back and forth, and then for whatever reason, you can't do a project. Oh, I know how this happened. The filmmaker, Rebecca Chaiklin, uh, owns a house in Woodstock, and I was living there at the time. And so that was part of the connection. My wife and I were running a, a farmed animal sanctuary in the town of Woodstock, and she had been there. So she knew me, and I'm sure I had met her, although I met a lot of people and I didn't specifically remember her. But I was on her radar because of that. And given what the topic of the show is going to be, at the time it was, it was more of a, a broader subject of wildlife in general, she thought I would be a, a good choice for it. So that's actually how the, the connection originally happened. Okay. So you started to touch on my next question, um, yeah. which was the original story. So I know that while you were editing, it was still unfolding. What was the original brief? And would you tell us about how it changed along the way? Yeah. So originally, I believe it was a project that was being pitched to CNN as kind of a, a multi-part series. 
and that each part was going to sort of focus on a different species or a different aspect. So there was going to be maybe a section on trophy hunting, a section on big cats, a section on reptiles, and that was kind of the idea that was being pitched. And we originally cut together something that did include other animals. There was a crazy guy who would handle snakes, but it was all in sort of the context of why is it that humans feel they have dominion over animals that they can kind of treat them this way? That was sort of the, the overarching theme that was part of that series. So I think I worked on it for several months. And I think at that point, the goal was to come up with something that was sort of a, you know, a sizzle reel of 10 or 20 minutes. I don't remember what, I think it was closer to 20 minutes by the time we were done with it. And then we did, of course, shorter versions and all the stuff you usually do on any kind of project. And then while I, I believe CNN was, was mulling it over, we decided to, we had enough material to try to do a feature length version. So I worked on that for a bit. And then the, frankly, the, the plug was pulled while they sort of figured out who's going to be interested in this. And it sort of just sat in the background for a while. Then it came back as I believe a pilot was actually done for CNN eventually. That took a long time. This was right around the election and CNN was distracted with other things. So everything kind of went on a hiatus. They did end up doing a pilot with, with somebody else and that didn't get picked up. So then the idea was to get back into it and to do it as perhaps a two or three part series. And around that time that we, I came back in, I was working on Michael Moore's last film and then that went on hiatus. So, you know, I started working on uh, the big cat film around that time. Now I want to mention that there are spoilers in this interview, but, but one of the main characters meets a tragic end. One of Joe's husbands uh, meets a tragic end. And the story started to become much larger in scope. And really from there, things they started doing more that sort of picked up with the efforts to do more filming. And as they did more filming, they kept meeting other people and more and more threads kind of developed. And before we knew it, we were looking at a four or five part series. And then Joe got arrested and a whole other, uh, a whole other uh, aspect of uh, the production just kind of spiraled. And so we ended up with seven episodes. When you started, um, what were you working with? It Was it a lot of found footage? And I, I remember in one of the episodes, there was a fire where they lost some of their own material at Joe's facility. Um, did yeah. you have access to that or did you come on after that fire? Well, that's sort of a mystery. That was never an issue for us. In fact, the character of Rick, who is the gentleman who was the producer working on Joe's TV, we didn't film him until I think it was May of last year. So he was only a character for the last five, six months of editing, uh, came in quite late. We just didn't really discover how to reach him until then. The producers hadn't. And so, no, that fire, a lot of people have that question. It is a little confusing because you're, we're, we're making a film about a guy making a reality show about an internet series about this crazy guy. And so there's so many, it's like a Russian doll where you, you know, take it apart. And so there's so many layers, it, it does get a little confused. Um, no, we did not have access to that footage. So that didn't affect us. And it actually, the fire had happened before we were even really involved much with him. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So most of what you were working with was the material that the crew shot. It, it was, but that said, we did get a lot of material from Joe. He had a, also just a lot of stuff online. So you could go to YouTube and there was endless stuff online, but he also was able to provide us some additional material and then third parties who had been involved in different aspects, different people he had hired to do his internet show or to do music videos also provided us with footage. So we actually ended up with 
fight a lot of that. And a lot of it was super dull, you know, Joe weed whacking and eating lunch. And, you know, sometimes it was hard to tell what was a real thing, but he really did film everything. And so a lot of the stuff was just kind of him trying to prove that somebody had done him wrong. So he would have a, an employee filming with a GoPro. I think they discovered GoPros at one point. And so everybody had a GoPro strapped to them. So we, we had a lot of very strange material that just sort of slowly, unfortunately, slowly leaked in from different drives that, you know, Joe's husband would find or he would mysteriously find. And, and um, then, of course, he got you know, arrested. And so that, that made it more difficult. Um, so it came in, in drips and drabs of huge amounts. So we would all of a sudden have, you know, 300 more hours and the assistants would go crazy trying to like, just find anything in it that seemed like it would be helpful. But, um, it, we were swimming in footage. They were also filming a lot and there were a lot of wild goose chases trying to find different things. And so we, we did end up with a lot of material, a lot of characters, who um, didn't make it into the cut at all. What were some of the most memorable items that did not make it into the final edit? We, we do have a very funny scene where Joe, you know, sort of revealed is not actually the singer of, of his own songs. I saw Tiger, now I understand. I saw Tiger, Tiger song. The only reason that we didn't include that is there was a last minute legal issue where we were worried that maybe he did actually partially sing on some of them. And we, we decided to not go down that road. It was also a scene that's very, very funny, but wherever we put it, it seemed to derail the story. And so that was kind of regretful that we didn't have that in there. The relationship between Tim Stark and Jeff Lowe is really, really rich. And we did go down that road and did include a lot more. But the problem is that we didn't have the ending to that story, really. Um, it's still ongoing. Tim Stark is, is they parted ways. He's back at his place in Indiana, which is actually only 25 minutes from me here as I speak. And he's facing severe, severe pressure from, you know, I think it's now the Indiana Attorney General is after him. And he's been inspected. And he's really, uh, he's hanging on by a thread. And so... I think, you know, that was a that was a through line that we wish we could have, you know, come to a conclusion because I think it would have been it's quite rich and there's a lot more material in there that I think would have really helped it. I think also we could probably could have done a lot more with Jeff Lowe given enough time. Um, I don't think there were too many scenes that we left out, but there's just a lot more about that man that we could have probably gone into. We maintain a list that we call the orphan list. And it was really just all these scenes that we knew were lovely and we'd love to get in, but, but couldn't. And I looked at it recently and I thought, you know what, we did a pretty good job cramming most of these in, you know, <laughs> there weren't too many that, that I thought, oh, damn it, <laughs> where could that have gone? Um, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that we, you know, and, and it is, it is a kitchen sink, you know, I mean, in terms of like, when you think about the structure of it, so somebody did sent me a parody song and they said like, here's the plot of Tiger King. It was a little song they sang. And it's like, he mentions three things. I thought, you know what? That kind of is the whole plot, but there's so many side threads and, and weird digressions that keep you entertained and kind of just maybe distracted from the fact that the story itself is, is actually quite, you know, quite simple could say, say it in a few sentences. Um, so, you know, I think, I think we, we were pretty good at figuring out how to kind of, let's go down this crazy road, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's a red herring because look what's happening. I think we had enough perspective on it to say like, it's okay. 
you want to see this. This is just kind of worth talking about. During the course of the series, you meet a lot of characters. And I mean, some of them are just unbelievable stories. Which of the characters was the most challenging for you to tell their story and how? Right. I mean, Joe is challenging because there's so much. He says so much and so much of, so much of it conflicts. He conflicts with himself. So it was hard. I think we just decided early on, let's just establish him as somebody who you love to watch, but you can't trust what he says. And I think we figured if you can kind of get that understanding about him, you'll relax to a certain extent because you understand that when he says something, it's like, <sighs> we always joked that everything Joe says, there's always a kernel of truth in it. And it did turn out to be true. I mean, <laughs> most things he said, they might've been complete lies, but it's like, well, but yeah, there's this. And sometimes it was, it was absolute gospel truth. He was challenging just because it's just, you know, Joe is Joe and it's just hard to wrap your head around him at all. And then Carol was also a challenge. By her own admission, she's sort of a socially awkward person. She had a hard life and has gone through some hard things and is a super dedicated, super focused person. And, you know, she's maybe hard for, you know, people to relate to, I think, is one problem. And so as the show progressed, she became a little bit more withdrawn and, and Howard started speaking more for her. But we really wanted Carol's voice and we wanted to make sure she, she remained a presence. One way that you really gave us a chance to get to know them was also just showing us what their homes look like, the decor, the way they interface with their animals, you know, beyond the interviews. Did you have a lot of that material to work with? By and large, no. I mean, Joe was more or less an open book, but the other characters, I think they would let people in once and not really, I don't feel like it happened very often. So Damien Drake, who was the DP, would always hop on that and make sure he got lots of, lots of cut, you know, fun cutaways and, and lots of details that are, of course, you know, when you're an editor, you're like, thank you so much. And so we, by and large, didn't have free access. And we, you know, we, I, I get that, you know, <laughs> you, you want to respect people's personal space. So that was a gift when we could get it. And in some cases, you know, we really couldn't get it. I mean, for example, in Doc's place, you really don't see behind the scenes. I mean, we, we would see behind the scenes at Joe's place and, and certainly at Carol's place. She was an open book. She showed us her hospital and all these different environments. You know, here's where the food is and here's where the little, little rabbits are. And, you know, and, and she showed us all that stuff. Um, but Doc was much more, you know, this is my space that people are supposed to see. And that's, that's what he would, he would allow us access to. So it varied, but yeah, it's always great to be able to see that. And really it gives you a lot of insight when you see, uh, how people live. Joe Exotic is how many people know him. He mailed off this form to the Federal Election Commission last Friday, announcing his intent to run for president as an independent. Mic check, 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 check. Whenever you're ready. Joe Exotic for the people of America. How's that? Would you take us through the process of editing the story as it was still unfolding? The first few episodes, I mean, some of those scenes hadn't changed literally in years. But as new information was coming in, we were constantly tweaking and improving and adding music and, you know, working on those first few episodes. But so it was sort of like there was a, there was a whole half of us that were kind of continuing to improve the first part of this story. But then as other stuff was coming in and revelations about these different characters and all these double crossing that was going on, there was other editors who were sort of zooming in on that and specializing on that. And in the end, when we finally kind of got everything in place, you know, a lot of us kind of touched different ones just out of necessity. You know, somebody would get completely swamped with some brand new thing 
And so I would take a pass on, you know, episode seven and address a couple of things that I thought were confusing. So we, we passed them around quite a bit, which is strange. I had never really worked on such a large project with a, such a big team of editors. And so we really were all having to really pay attention to why is this in here? What is this doing? Oh, that's right. We tried it this way, you know, two months ago and it, and it had this effect. So it was super, super challenging that way. So while the trial was unfolding, I guess you had people down there and they were sending you material every day? Uh, the filmmakers, by and large, covered most of the trial, I would say. I think they were in there. Eric Good and Rebecca Chakeland, they were both down in, I believe it was Oklahoma is where the trial was. They were there in person and uh, were knowledgeable about everything that was going on. And then, of course, they were outside with the crew, grabbing whoever they could. And then while they were down there, they were also shooting anything else they could, you know, maximizing the amount of time. So we got a lot of footage that came in, you know, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm thinking uh, they did not allow cameras in the, in the courtroom, which is, which is typical. So I'm kind of thankful <laughs> that they didn't <laughs> because, oh boy, if they did, that would have been another whole layer of, of, of things. So in a way, it was good to have our, our hand forced on that and to have to kind of simplify it down to just the, the broad strokes of what the trial was that we could convey through basically interviews of people who were there. That's how that was covered. You mentioned that the reality TV producer was interviewed late in the production. Would you describe why he was added to the story? Well, I think the initial reason we reached out to that fellow, uh, Rick, why am I spacing on his last name? The guy in the cowboy hat, everybody knows him as. Um, <laughs> and he um, he seemed to be involved, or he had been accused of setting the fire. All the couple people uh, had, had accused him of that. So it was a natural choice to reach out to him and say, people are saying this about you. Um, is this true? And so uh, I think that was the initial reason why they filmed him. Chris Smith actually flew off to, where he's someplace out in like Finland or someplace like that. And came back with like three or four hours of really bonkers material. And he ended up being kind of like, you know, a bit of like the Greek chorus of the project because he just has this great voice and great storytelling style because he has a background in working on all those shows like hard copy. And, and so he was a godsend because when he came, at least it was sort of a voice of reason that we could insert into this whole thing <laughs> and, a, and a different perspective because, you know, you talk to Joe and you're going to get a lot of different answers and it's hard to parse, parse through all what, what actually happened and didn't. So it was good to have some corroborating evidence. And he also got sucked into the story and became part of the story. So it was super interesting that it worked out that way, but that was not an expectation that we had. And I think that's true of a lot of the material that, that has happened with this, with this project is somebody would go off, film something, it would seem like a dead end. And then they would come back and you'd say, Oh my gosh, or there'd be some archival footage that would do something similar. So a lot of moments like that. But um, yeah, it was, I, I think, kind of dumb luck that, you know, it was an expensive trip to fly across the ocean and interview this guy just to find out if he was part of it. But uh, it was a huge, uh, very smart call that the production got him. So, And then Joe's nemesis, Carol, was she always in the story from the start? Yeah, um, she, she had been interviewed even before uh, Joe was. I believe the first interview with her, I believe, was in 2014. So it predated me by several years. And so, yeah, she was one of the folks who had been interviewed as kind of an expert on, you know, certainly tigers. She's certainly one of the go-to people that you would go to if you wanted to ask questions about tigers. And so, yeah, she had been involved very early on, and they continued to interview her over time over the over the span of 
you know, about five years. So got lots of different interviews, sometimes on the same stuff. So certainly with different hair colors, <laughs> um, which always makes editing a challenge. So yes, she had been a essential part of it for a long time because, you know, her, her message, you know, that tigers should not be in captivity. I mean, that was, that was very central to the general uh, idea of the series from the beginning. Our mission is to ban the private possession of these magnificent animals. She wanted to shut down a zoo and he wanted her gone. You're an animal rights person and you try and come into this facility, this is what you're gonna be greeted with. Carol also became a central figure because she became Joe's nemesis in the story. And also there was the uh, mystery of what happened to Carol's first husband. Were these items always in the story as well? Yes, obviously her conflict with Joe was established fairly early on. I think in one of the first few interviews, she talked a lot about that. And I think that's probably what led the filmmakers to seek out Joe. Although again, that predated me, so I'm not exactly sure. And the story about her missing husband, I, I also think came a little bit later. I don't think she volunteered that per se, but I think that did come up as, as more interviews were done. So who were the original characters in the story besides Carol? Well, there was a guy named Tiger Dave. <laughs> there was a fella who I think I had mentioned was, was uh, into snakes and different reptiles. Um, because Eric Goods, uh, the, one of the directors, his background is in reptiles and turtles specifically. So he knew a lot of these characters just from his earlier days being interested in, the, in that topic. And so the scene that is, starts off uh, quite early in episode one, where you see him talking to this reptile dealer and this guy shows up and has a snow leopard, that's how it happened. I mean, then we felt very strongly that that scene you know what, it's maybe wasn't filmed the best way and it's a little clunky because we had to resort to voiceover to explain what was going on, which is the only time we do that. But it's truly what happened. And so he was just blown away by that. And so it, it kind of expanded from there and started to focus in on tigers. But yeah, prior to that, he was meeting with a lot of different, uh, there were a lot of different reptile people who were going to be, you know, potentially part of it. Um, anyway, lots lots of characters just ended up not being part of it. But yeah. Now, you haven't mentioned Joe. Was he original? He, uh, I think he came in around, I think he had the first interview with him was, was 2015. By the time I got involved, he was a character. Yes, I would definitely describe him as, as one of the original characters. Um, and I believe Mario also was quite early. I, th I think I remember working with his material quite early on. So Mario is, is the fellow who's, who's also down in Florida and, um, you know, supposedly is the, it was the, who the character for Scarface was, was based on because he had this drug dealing past. And so he's a very, obviously very colorful character and quite funny and, and uh, charming in his own way. So, um, yeah, so those were some of the bigger characters who were involved initially. Yeah. What was your favorite episode? <laughs> oh, gosh. I have a soft spot for episode two because even though not that much happens story-wise, you really do a deep dive into the worlds of these people. And for me, that's the core of how bonkers this place is. I mean, you've got Doc and his his ladies and his sort of very unusual personality. Blair, you know, he's, he's definitely one of a kind kind of guy. You've got Carol and, and she runs her organization in a very specific way that sort of reflects her quirkiness. You know, Joe's ragtag team of misfits, as they call it. I just find it that everybody, you really get to know everybody in that episode. 
And I think, you know, in an earlier incarnation, maybe one, episodes one and two might have been, you know, part of a, a single episode, but, but it ended up being rich enough that we were able to split it out into those two episodes and kind of do a deeper dive as, as we got more and more material. The character who, you know, talks a lot about behind the scenes, uh, Barbara Fisher, who uh, talks a lot about what it was like to work at, at Docs. She was also a relatively late addition and really helped flesh out the world of Doc quite well. So I think she was filmed around this time last year. So I, I, it was cold out. I remember that. So, it was, but it was it was a relatively late edition, and and we were just th when we saw that interview, we just we all just thought, oh my god, this this just exploded because <laughs> now we can really kind of show this world in in a way that you there's no way you could ever see from us filming anything. So it really pulled back the curtain in a very dramatic way. So I know that since this came out, Carol has uh, on her website talked about the series, and you know has used the word lies from your end. How would you respond to that? Well, I certainly, I don't think the intent, you know, was ever to detract from her mission. I mean, I think the film stands behind her premise, which is that, you know, tigers should not be bred. We did a really thorough job. We didn't want to just, you know, if we're going to do this and, and, and dive into such a sensitive topic, it was extensively researched. It was extensively fact-checked. We did try to, you know, make sure that any statement was made had a counter statement so that it would it would remain balanced. I did see some of the material she mentioned was stuff that she hadn't talked about. So, um, you know, for example, Don having a girlfriend down in Costa Rica, she had never mentioned that to us. So that was not something that we, you know, could have dealt with because we never had that information. There are things like that that, you know, obviously we couldn't have anticipated because we never heard it. But um you know, I would say that we definitely stand by the proverbial reporting and, you know, it doesn't come to a conclusion. So it is a mystery that persists. But we were able to secure interviews with folks who had not talked publicly. I don't believe Don's children had ever gone on camera before, or certainly not in many, many, many years. Um, the character of Kenny, who was Don's right-hand man, had never done any kind of uh, interview before. And he's the one who actually floats the idea that perhaps Don engineered his disappearance, which is an idea that I don't think has been out there much. I, I you know, I certainly feel for Carol and I understand why she, you know, of course she's going to defend herself. And, you know, again, we don't come to a conclusion, spoiler alert, <laughs> we don't come to a conclusion. We just present lots and lots and lots of information and, you know, people have to kind of make up their own minds. But, um, yeah. From where it started to where it ended up, it must be very surprising to you the the turns it took along the way. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, hearing that Travis had killed himself and, you know, we felt very strongly that we shouldn't use that footage. I just thought it it seemed very exploitive. But then we learned that it doesn't actually show Travis, you know, the actual incident. It just showed another character, Josh, how he reacted to that to that happening. And then when I, when I saw that, I realized, you know what, we, we should show this because it's such a haunting image. And it's, it's really where Joe is kind of like, he's like, an, he, it's like he never grew up as a character. He's really just like, kind of like a, a kid with, <laughs> with too much access to too many things. Um, but I think that moment was a very important moment because it, it, it sort of changed everything and, and sent Joe into kind of, a, I think, a really bad spiral, understandably. And so there are moments like that. I think I think seeing Barbara Fisher's interview about Doc was really eye-opening. 
Again, Rick Kirkham, the fellow who was Joe's producer, that interview really pulled back a lot of information. Also, uh, the interview with, with Saf. He talked about his incident with his arm getting ripped off and or, or at least badly damaged to the point where it needed to be amputated. I mean, that was just a nutty interview to, to, to and, and, and to hear him talk about, you know, how, you know, well, I decided to <laughs> take off my arm and get back to work because I really believe in the tiger. It's like, wow. These tigers really have an allure <laughs> that people would make make a call like that. So, yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments, very kind of important moments where we'd get a call from the set. That said, you're not going to believe what you're about to get in two days <laughs> after it's synced and put together. So just leave a spot for this. <laughs> so there, there were a lot of a lot of like, OK, what's going on now? You know, I'd get in the office and I'd be, you know, I'd, the B train was delayed and I get in and I'll see everybody crowded around the table and go, uh oh, what just happened? <laughs> I'm 20 minutes late. What did I miss? And there'll be some crazy revelation about about something. So it was it was a lot of just like, okay, regroup. Let's think about this. There were a lot of moments like that. But um the ones I mentioned, I think, were some of the some of the kind of most significant. It's Carol's birthday next month, and we're shipping her two of these. <laughs> Look at the fangs on that. One day I went out to open up the mailbox and it just exploded with snakes. So at what point was the ending the ending? Well, there was the issue of running out of time. I mean, I think, to be honest, I think given no deadline and endless resources, I think we probably would have just kept filming and we could have we could have followed these, you know, I mean, I'm sure Joe will appeal and, you know, there's going to be revelations here and revelations there. But realistically, we just had to, there was sort of an artificial ending of like, well, we just sold it to Netflix and they want it in November so that they can put it out. And and I, I, I learned a lot about what Netflix has to do in order to get a show out there with all the languages and the and the subtitling and all the crazy formatting stuff that, you know, I had been blissfully ignorant of. So um, I definitely uh, feel for the team there. You know, I, I figured Netflix was just a hard drive, you know, in a basement somewhere. But I've, I've since learned it's more than that. And so, you know, we just had we just had a hard deadline. So we had to just sort of reverse engineer from that. There were certain scenes that, you know, for example, there's a scene at the end where Joe talks about the chimps and how he had kept the chimps separate and that he finally found a, a home for them and they, they had embraced each other and he, had, he realized that he had deprived them of that. I mean, that was a scene that was super important for me and my wife actually had a friend of a friend of somebody who was where those chimps ended up. So that was something that was sort of, sort of a personal mission on mine to kind of follow up on that. And the woman there who sent us that footage. So that was an example of something we wanted to build to. We thought, well, okay, here's an example of, of Joe kind of, you know, coming full circle. And so to some extent, we reverse engineered off that way. But I mean, the end of the trial is more or less the end of the story. And so aside from sort of some epilogue kind of beats and kind of wrapping up some of the characters. I mean, that was what we had to kind of go by in terms of that. And it was it was unfortunate that we couldn't cover the sentencing. But every step of Joe's being in jail, everything would seem to go on six months longer than it would. And it was really, it was pins and needles for the editing team because, you know, we were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this trial to start. And it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And so finally it started and it was over in a week, you know, and it was just had this dramatic result of, of him being convicted. And then it was this mad scramble. So, um, but to answer your question, the end was we made the executive decision that this trial is going to be the end of the story because, you know, frankly, when Joe leaves the screen, the show was, you know, losing a little bit of its main character as a visual element. And so there's only so long you can probably sustain that, you know, he, he existed as, as phone calls. 
but that's not the same. You want to see those sparkly shirts and all that stuff. So that's kind of how it came around. Sometimes it's good to have an artificial reason to, to, to pull the plug on something, you know, cause it, it sparks your creativity. And I, you know, I think considering that we weren't really sure what was going to happen, I think we did a good job at kind of like making it feel like it was, it was coming to a, you know, coming to a head and a conclusion with those various characters there. So, and uh, what's next for you? Well, uh, I'm joining this downtime. Um, there is some discussion of, you know, possibly looking at some other stuff that could have to do with, with Tiger King. It's just, it's on a back burner, but it's something that, you know, we're, we're all sort of thinking about like, well, if we did revisit this, what would we look at? I mean, it's just been such a bizarre road that, um, you know, and, and, and I do think that, that it would be nice to, you know, th there's definitely points of confusion. Let me put it this way. There are definitely some points of confusion that have come out. And normally on a, any kind of film, you would love to have test screenings and spend years and years editing and getting lots and lots of reactions. We really didn't have that opportunity. We were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Netflix was super helpful in terms of flagging anything that might be confusing. But I do think there's points of clarity that we definitely missed. And it's sort of interesting, but but one of the kind of like ones that's that's biggest is people don't seem to understand that Carol has tigers in cages because they're dangerous. And it's it's surprising to me that people don't know that, of course, you can't take an animal who's raised in captivity and just, you know, drop them into a jungle somewhere. You can't do that. So that's why she has them in cages. She and it's it's in there, but I don't think it resonates enough. And so that was a point of confusion that I think that if we if we could go back and revise something or, or, you know, treat better, I think we overestimated something that to us seemed obvious, but it clearly is not obvious to people. So that was some some feedback that has definitely come out of, you know, kind of the social media reaction to it is, is people definitely don't get that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you and your family stay safe during this time. Thank you. You too. I hope you're safe there.